Uh, as Gary said, our text is Psalm 37. Uh, today we'll cover 9 to 11, but I'll actually uh, read 1 through 11. So let's hear God's word. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your promises. And we uh, acknowledge, Father, that you are our God and you rule over this world. And it is your will that everyone performs, though they even find themselves to be in rebellion against you. And yet, Father, we thank you for the fact that we look forward to a day and a time when evil will be no more. And we ask you to be with us now to bless this word uh, to our hearing and to the uh, benefit of our spirits and our walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. So I'll just cover these uh, three verses, 9, 10, and 11, but I wanted to ref refer to 1 and 8 in context. So I wanted to read it again. Now, this psalm, as really the bulk of the Bible, is written to the righteous. It's written to believers. And so the, the uh, paragraph that I just read, 9, 10, 11, for evildoers shall be cut off. So God is speaking to us through David, and yet he's referring to the evildoers, to the wicked, to those that probably will never read this. They don't want to hear this stuff. So the wicked and the righteous were contrasted through verses 1 through 8, and they continue to be here. And so verses 1 through 11 really form one unit of this psalm, and that's why I wanted to read the whole thing. This psalm is directed at the righteous. Why? Why is it that it's directed at the righteous? It's almost as if when you read this, especially 9, 10, 11, they're the only ones that are left to hear it. The wicked have been cut off. It reads, shall, 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 yes. But now you see, God is speaking to us because we're the only ones that will hear this. The wicked shall be cut off. They shall be no more. And we'll get into that. See, we are the survivors. We are the inheritors. We are the victors. We are the posterity of God. Everyone else that is not will be cut off and they will be no more. Now, the psalmist gets personal in verse 10. And let me read this. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. 
What's interesting about this is this is the absolutely first occurrence in this psalm of the word you. It's interesting. Now, it's been implied all over the place. Do not fret. That could say you do not fret. He's speaking to you. Do not fret. It's implied everywhere. Trust in the Lord. Do good. So there is a you that's implied here. But in verse 10, in the middle of verse 10, David gets personal when he refers to you, a specific individual. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place. And so you find yourself in this person's position. Until now, it's been kind of general. General wisdom, general uh, assertions of what you should and shouldn't do. But now it gets very personal. And I think that's intentional. All the other references here, and, and even in this text, for instance, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord. Again, it's kind of referring to this third person form, those who wait on the Lord. And then the meek shall inherit the earth. Again, impersonal. But here in the middle, you shall look for them. And I believe David and God wants us to focus on that. Now, when I meditated on this during the week, it it was very odd, and I questioned whether I should uh, bring this up. But yet, it just struck me, and it seems true. Let me read this again. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Let me, let me plant a seed in your brain. Who here is familiar with the term the rapture? Everybody's familiar with the term the rapture, right? I mean, we live in an obsessed culture. Even non-Christians know what the rapture is for the most part. They kind of know it has something to do with this weird uh, time in Christianity where all these Christians will start floating up into the sky, Right? <laughs> Or they'll just disappear. And then the wicked will frankly say, good riddance. Good riddance to rubbish, right? And then somehow the whole world goes on without really thinking a, whole, a lot about what just happened. They'll, they'll go on. Now, now, I've been studying dispensationalism in recent weeks. And what I did not realize when I was a young believer, and I was pre-millennial believer just by default because that's what the Bible bookstore sells, on their little racks of publications about the limit of my reading ability, perhaps at the time. But what I found was that there was this huge dispute back then between those people that believe the church is raptured prior to the tribulation and those that are raptured in the middle of the tribulation and those that are raptured after. Pre, mid, post-trib. If you're dispensational, you're pre-trib. Why? because the church doesn't have to go through that suffering that the whole world's about to go through. The whole reason for that suffering is to refine the Jewish nation of whom some will be saved. So see, now I understand what the big deal was about where people are raptured. Because naively, I just thought, I just think people want to think it's convenient to get out of it. They just don't want to think they have to go through it. It's that simple. I'm a Christian. I'm going to be saved. I believe in a pre-trip rapture. Why would God make me go through that? I'm his. So what on earth does that have to do with this text? Let me read it again. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it will be no more. This is a reverse, slow speed rapture. See, it's not the righteous that are being taken away. It's the wicked. They're being supplanted slowly but surely until this person looks around and says, Wait a minute, where are the wicked? They are no more. And so it's just interesting to me that, that in the midst of a culture that's obsessed with this premillennial pre-trib rapture stuff, 
God's word just clearly shows me that we're talking about the reverse. We're talking about the wicked being supplanted slowly out of where they are in these positions of strength and power. So, the meek will inherit the earth. And I have a little phrase here off to the side. No, no, really. <laughs> the weak will inher inherit the earth. I know you don't believe that. I know none of us believe that. It's hard to believe. Meek? What does it mean to be meek? Who are the meek? It's been defined. I defined it in previous weeks, and let's go through the definition. The meek are those that do not fret because of evildoers. The meek are those that are not envious of the workers of iniquity. The meek are the do-gooders that trust and delight themselves in the Lord. The meek commit their way to the Lord and wait patiently for him. The meek don't get angry or vengeful, and they refuse to worry. So see, we don't have to make up a word to define the meek. It's right here in our text. And too many people are quick to try to pull something out of the sky or out of our culture to seek definitions for what's in the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's our lesson there. Now, what I want to focus on here is the very last phrase. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. See, in verse 10, the meek are shown to be gradually inheriting the earth, and they didn't even know it. They look around, where are the evil? I don't know. I can't find them. And yet, when they realize that they live in a world without evil, when they look around and they see no evil, when there are no longer any needs for security systems or weapons or door locks and all that type of stuff, they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That's what every Christian should long for. And that's why God tells us not to be envious of the wicked, not to be vengeful and angry, because their day is coming. It will come. He promises us that. And when I hear this, delighting themselves in the abundance of peace, what, what I picture is this. Anybody that has, has had kids has seen this. Anybody that has watched kids intently has seen this. When kids are little, their first experiences at certain things fill them with delight. I was reading a book to Tabitha recently, and a little it's, it's about actually a town called Spencer, Iowa, where there was a cat named Dewey the Cat that lived at the library. And uh, early on in the first few weeks, this little child walks in and picks up Dewey and starts walking away. You don't hear the cat squawking or anything. But this little two-year-old has the cat upside down. He's got the bum right there, the bum's up in the kid's face, and... They're delighted. They're just walking along. They're filled with delight, even though they've got this cat bum in their face. But the cat is just being dragged along, and he doesn't care. He knows that's why he's there. Dewey was a good cat to have in that situation. When you've seen little children enter into a ball house for the first time, this is mine to play in. I mean, it's just delight, pure delight. That's why Jesus tells us that we must be like little children, because they are so pure, so total in their abandon to the things that they enjoy and delight in. And that's how God wants us to delight in the promise of the peace that we will one day enjoy. So when we come to the table, we come to the table celebrating a Jesus who was meek and who we are asked to emulate. But yet one day, Jesus will return to this earth on a war horse. He will come for vengeance 
being meek is not being a failure. Being meek is being a success. Meekness is the road to holiness. It's the road to righteousness. And it is the road to victory that Jesus has already gone on. So the meek are seated with Christ in heaven. We are seated with Christ in heaven. And we will fully exercise that right one day, that joy of being with him and an abundance of peace. Uh, in Dan's introduction, he mentioned the gates that will be on heaven. And yet, if you go to Revelation 20, 21, you'll see something about those gates. In verse 21, 25, starting at 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And then in parentheses it says, there shall be no night there. So see, the gates are always open always open. And down here in verse 14, it says, uh, 22, 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral. But see, God doesn't need those gates closed to keep out that evil because they're banished to the pit. So see, we serve a God who will return victoriously to this earth and we have a future that awaits us that will be lived out in an abundance of peace forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your promises. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith to accept this, to see this, uh, despite our circumstances, that we would believe you rather than believe our own lying eyes. So, Father, we thank you for your presence with us, now and always. And we thank you and celebrate Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and his ruling right now from heaven. In his name we pray. Amen.